Welcome to episode 68 of Contested Catch. It is time for our week 14 preview. Also going to be taking a look back at week 13 and Thursday night football, which happened last night. Of course, we are recording this on Friday afternoon. I'm joined once again by our data specialist, our co-host, the man, the myth, Jeff Gould. Jeff, how's everything going with you, my friend? How is life? Hello, William. Life is good. It's getting a little bit chilly here on the East Coast, but I mean, that's playoff season for you. Exactly, man. You know, it really builds character to be out in this weather and still be grinding. So, you know, from oh, yeah. the, being from the Northeast, like like we are, I was talking to someone about this. I was saying that I think being cold is really a mentality because if you leave home, you know, when you when I go back to to the northeast, it's a state of it, mind, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like you got to be able to put it out of your head, take a deep breath, and say, okay, I know it's cold, but I'm okay. But if you give in to the feeling of it, you are going to be shivering at like 50 degrees, where someone is like fine 30 degree weather. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean last last Saturday I was playing um, in my flag football league, and it was probably 40 45 degrees out. I mean, I was just out there in a sleeveless t shirt. I'm surprised no, you were I, even wearing a shirt, to be honest, Jeff. Oh, league rules, you know. Uh, I have to have a, I, I, a uniform on. That was targeted uh, I mean, at you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, specifically for me. Otherwise, I like, that thing probably be a crop top. Shout out, <laughs> shout out Zeke Elliott. Shout out um, Zeke. Yeah, I mean, shout out obviously, you know, on the sidelines, I, you know, toss my jacket on over my shoulders, kind of like you see guys do. But uh, now that I'm on the field, just, you know, rip, cut off t-shirt gloves and you're just out there playing and like you said it's a mindset it's a state of mind yep fair enough um okay so let's get into it we've got we're going to start with thursday night football takeaways we're also going to talk about week 13 a little bit and just some of the big things that happened and then some of the week 14 storylines as we head into our dfs preview best bets and of course wrap up with the bills like we always do um so jeff with thursday night football i think that there is one clear obvious takeaway and that is obviously Cam motherfucking Acres um, had his like by far his breakout performance. You know, you could point to weeks past where he's been explosive, but last night, I mean, there's no question because not only did he match, or not only did he, he did he bring his explosiveness back into the game, but he finally got legit legit volume. And so it was really a disaster for basically every other fantasy relevant player in that game on both sides, New England and LA, except for Cam Akers. Um, he continued to show his chunk gain ability despite little pass game compliment from Jared Goff and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. You know, nothing to write home about. You know, it wasn't, I guess, a complete disaster for them. I mean, for Goff it was, but for the pass catchers it was okay. Um, but the big thing for Cam Akers was that he outtouched Malcolm Brown and Darrell Henderson. They combined for two touches. Both went to Henderson, and Akers had 31. He also outsnapped them 55 to 13 combined. And this is the thing. Cam Akers has been routinely available on the waiver wire in the, in the uh, past few weeks, he was available in 40% of leagues going into this week, even after a 30, a 30% jump in uh, ownership coming into this week. So uh, he's now an RB two for the fantasy playoffs with upside for much more because now this is my question for you, Jeff. We've seen Darrell Henderson have breakout games. We've seen Malcolm Brown have big games, and now we're seeing Cam Akers time. Now, I think it was evident when Darrell Henderson's came, they were typically without Cam Akers in the lineup, or if he was in the lineup, he was still ailing with that rib injury that we talked a lot about, and you gave some great color on about it being a pain tolerance thing, even though he was technically healthy enough to play. So now now it's Cam Akers' time, right? I mean, 
we've, I mean, that volume is indisputable with all three backs healthy. However, I just worry that this is just another example of this running back committee staying true in LA and that Cam Akers volume is going to turn into a timeshare again. And maybe just a hot hand during that game. I don't know. I mean, he has looked really good, but at the same time, Darrell Henderson has looked really good at times this year too. And he just had a couple explosive plays just a week ago. So what are your thoughts on Cam Akers and this LA backfield going forward into the fantasy playoffs? I think it's Akers to keep, um, you know, even like last night, if they wanted to, they were up by enough in the second half that they could have taken Akers out in the fourth quarter just to keep him fresh and put in Henderson, who, like you said, has looked good, but Akers just absolutely looks better. I mean, this is the a Todd Gurley type of workload that he's getting. And even last week, he had 21 carries to Henderson's three. And yes, Henderson did have that little thigh injury early on, but he still came back into the game. Um, he said zero touches for Malcolm Brown. So in, even even if it's not this like 95% work share and it's more 75%, that's still more than most running backs are getting and puts him at the like lower end of RB1 range with like top five weekly upside. And keep in mind, he put up 20 points last night without even finding the end zone. And right, he got he got vultures short by Jared Goff at the one yard line. Right. So, and next week they play the New York Jets. I mean, he could easily find the end zone two, maybe even three times next week, and I mean that's part of what drove Todd Gurley's value so much when he was the like the overall RB one is just like the end zones and how much the Rams ran the ball inside the ten and how effective they were. So, with all that in mind, like. I don't know how you aren't firing up Cam Akers uh, for the rest of the season. I mean, it's only two weeks to go. And for, I mean, 2021, I mean, in, like looking forward, he's really in a situation to just establish himself as the bell cow back. And it won't even be a committee. It'll just be his with Henderson as the backup and giving him a breather. Because I think Henderson has looked good and serviceable. Akers has looked explosive and like in ascending young talent at the position. And I really don't even think that um, the way Akers has played recently, I don't even think it's a conversation of who's a better back. So the, the only other thing I'll say about this is that I think the way that we saw Cam, I mean, Cam Akers has been explosive. He's ripping off huge gains in addition to just a standard like five to 10 yards clip on, on normal runs and you know his yards per carry dipped a little bit which is why it's not a very good stat because he had some late grinding runs at the end of the game um that you know they were just stacking the box sort of thing um however he was also running through huge holes and i think we've seen this with Darrell henderson as well like you know in his game against the bills where he had a really really strong performance uh early in the season and you know kind of throughout the season i think this is more a product of the offense and whoever's getting the volume We've seen times where Darrell Henderson has been ineffective. Uh, we've seen times where Malcolm Brown has been ineffective. And we've seen times where Cam Akers has been ineffective. And, you know, just in week 13 against Arizona, Darrell Henderson has had a long explosive run for a touchdown. Three carries, 49 yards, and a touchdown, a couple catches. Um, and now it just feels like it's Cam Akers' time to get the volume. So I think you can't be anything but positive if you're a Cam Akers manager going into the playoffs. I think you should definitely be starting him as a flex, if not an RB2, and feel pretty good about it because we obviously see there's a huge ceiling here. Um, 
and from from a dynasty standpoint, this is this is the kind of trend you're looking for. Last three weeks, nine carries for 84 yards and a touchdown, 21 carries, 72 yards and a touchdown with a catch for 22 yards. And then last night, 29 carries, 171 yards, two catches, 23 yards. That's a very, very good trend and very positive. However, I'm just pointing out that we've seen this exact kind of thing for Darrell Henderson now, albeit a lower ceiling, lower volume ceiling as well. But it's just worth pointing out that this isn't necessarily a given that it's going to be Cam Akers' backfield going forward. I think the odds are definitely in his favor. We've just seen McVay turn around off a big Darrell Henderson game and, and do this exact kind of thing. So, um, Jeff, another Cam that was in this game was Cam Newton. And you know him, on the other hand, struggled once again. Came in with an abdomen injury, it's worth pointing out. But New England's passing game has really struggled this year. And, you know, part of the reason that Cam's stock was down uh, and why New England got him so cheap was because of concerns about his health, specifically his throwing shoulder health. Now, we haven't heard any really, you know, any murmurs or anything like that, that his shoulder's not healthy. I've seen some talk on draft Twitter or NFL uh, tape Twitter saying that, you know, he's still kind of throwing in a weird way that maybe his, his shoulder isn't fully back. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, he threw for 365 yards against Houston. And then since then, he has uh, not topped 120 yards in the last three games. Uh, also has three interceptions, only one touchdown pass. He's still having some decent running game work, uh, about, you know, averaging probably about 10 carries per game over the last three. However, I mean, I just don't think that we can feel good about Cam Newton as a fantasy player at this point. He's put up two duds uh, in the last three and one good performance, and that was solely because of his rushing work. So I think the the fantasy case for Cam is pretty obvious. Hopefully you have a different option to start other than him in the playoffs. Um, Jeff, how do you view Cam's stock, NFL stock, going into the offseason? Because there was a time, especially early in the season, when they almost beat uh, Seattle and he was rushing great, throwing for almost 400 yards, that I thought, okay, wow, this is another New England steal. And now we're looking at it and it's like, is New England even going to keep him on a short contract again? I mean, I don't even know that he's necessarily rehabbed his value enough outside of, you know, quelling any sort of character or locker room concerns. I think he's been excellent in that regard. What, what, are, your, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on uh, Cam Newton now? Um. First of all, I just never understood the like character and locker room thing critiques. Like I've always enjoyed Cam and his personalities. Like that's just that's part like narrative never made sense to me. I agree with on you the, on that. Like I don't know. That's that's just boomers not liking the. It was just it was just like, that like boisterous personality. The touchdown celebrations. People are like, is this gonna fit with Bill Belichick? And it's like. You guys don't really understand. Belichick Cam Newton. Belichick's fine with people having fun. Yeah, as long as they're putting up, putting in the work to back that up. And also, Cam Newton is like a stellar person off the field. Like he is a huge presence in the communities that he's a part of. I think, yeah, I think you're a spot on that. Like that was such a, a, a shitty narrative that was completely uncalled for. Like we're not seeing like like DUIs or like you know domestic abuse or any of these other issues that plague NFL players uh, consistently. You know, Cam Newton's a stellar human and. I think the fact that he like took over that locker room uh, when there was still a quote unquote like, you know, conversation between him and Jarrett Stidham for who's going to start um, was no surprise at all. But anyways, keep going. Um, on the field, though, yeah, things don't look great. Um, you know, I, I, I do think like everything just looks labored to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just nothing looks fluid 
And, you know, obviously Cam was never like your stereotypical, like polished passer, but when he made plays, they still just like, you know, they, they looked fluid and athletic and everything just looks kind of disconnected and labored. And how much of that is just health with the current injury? How much of that is just like long-term effects of the injuries piling up? I don't know. Um, certainly the supporting cast does not help at all because this is maybe the worst wide receiver group in the NFL and the offensive line is not too good either. So I don't think he is as bad as what we're seeing and like the production has been, but I, I don't see the, like, the athleticism and talent that we saw even just in 2018 before he got hurt, that was making him such a good player. So, um, you know, I think let's say New England's not going to be in position to draft an elite prospect this year. So, you know, I could still see them bringing him back in and especially as um, a veteran to help, if they were to go draft somebody as a veteran to help um, bring them along. But, um, you know, he, he certainly is at a point where he needs a stronger surrounding cast. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if he is the player who could, um, with the right people around him, can put out that top 10, top five offense anymore. But he's, I still don't think he's like as bad as what we're, seeing and of course the other question is how you know how healthy can he stay because this is like three years in a row of just injuries nagging at him yeah and um you know there is there is a false narrative about the running quarterback that says they're more likely to get injured that's actually not true because when you are a running quarterback when you're running designed plays you're more likely to be able to protect yourself and the injury risk is actually lower than if you were to take a hit uh, stationary in the pocket because you're getting typically just you know bulldozed by a D lineman or a blitzing linebacker or something of the sort. So I think that the conversation about Cam Newton's injury health is different than what it would be for like a standard running quarterback, a guy like Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, that sort of thing. And I think it's just because of uh, in, in part because of age, in part because of just the the number of hits this guy's take. I mean, he's the most prolific running quarterback in the league's history. Um, in terms of total volume, and it's probably just starting to add up, add up for him and his body. Um, here's a thought: and he he takes a ton of hits in the pocket. Absolutely, yeah, he always I mean, like, has. Look, like last night, most of the hits he were taking wasn't because he was out running around; it's because the pocket was collapsing. He was trying to get out, and I mean, like that one play guard just let the blitzing back or right through the middle for a clean shot at him like that has nothing to do with him being a running quarterback that's just shitty offensive line play and I mean his mobility probably just helped you know make the hit a little worse than what it could have been but yeah I mean the running quarterback narrative you you nailed it yeah so I think um I think to color this conversation and evaluate Cam Newton as a as a quarterback in 2020, you cannot leave out the fact that his supporting cast has been nothing short of like mediocre, right? I mean, we're seeing Jacoby Myers come out of the woodwork. We know that he's actually a pretty talented player, uh, was definitely a, a good uh, addition by New England two, two years ago or a year ago. 
Um, we thought that he was a, a shining star coming out of training camp last year. Didn't really do anything with Tom. But anyway, uh, the sporting cat, you know, it's not like he's playing in, in Kansas City or Seattle with some great receivers and, uh, you know, a decent offensive line. It's just not very good. And at the same time, you would expect a, a quarterback of his caliber, of his name value to overcome something like that. And he has at times. And for most of the season, I would say he has not, uh, at least as a passer. So here's a thought, Jeff. I wouldn't say the quarterback market is going to be any better or any more ravenous in their demand for a player like Cam Newton as a starter in 2021. He's only on this one-year contract. I'm not positive New England's going to bring him back. Let's assume for a second that they're not going to bring him back and that he is a free agent going to one of the other 31 teams. What do you think of the idea of bringing Cam Newton in as a Taysom Hill-type player for a team that has an established quarterback presence? Let's just say Kansas City, for example. They obviously don't need to invest in the quarterback position outside of Patrick Mahomes because they just paid him half a billion dollars, or, and uh, you know he's the best quarterback in the league. But if you bring Cam Newton in, you're not only adding a complete chess piece or you know a queen onto the chessboard in uh, Cam, no pun intended, related to his fashion. Um, but you're also adding in a, a, you know a backup emergency quarterback option. But I mean, just imagine you've got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, whoever else you want to put out there, plus Cam Newton and Patrick Mahomes. I think that would be a pretty disgusting package to be able to put in there. And they're already doing things where they're putting Patrick Mahomes on the move. They do a lot of option read, uh, a read option um, type plays with Mahomes. I think if you put Cam Newton back in there for a couple plays, not even necessarily at quarterback, put him in at like H back and just let him do things with his legs. Because that's really where his value is coming in now. Uh, what are your thoughts I mean, on that? What about Buffalo? Oh, I would love that too. I mean, we already talked about Cam Newton being a very, uh, because we still hadn't seen what we're seeing from Josh this year. We hadn't seen that yet. Uh, at least on a prolonged period. So it was sure. like maybe like, Cam I mean, imagine him. either Cam or Josh on the outside, like matched up against um, the, like a line. Uh, if they were matched up against a corner, like imagine Josh throwing a fade to Cam. Well, okay, put put this or or vice versa. Like put, put he, this in perspective. You put you put Cam Newton out wide. You motion him across the formation. And then Josh and him run a, a, a speed option to the outside, meaning that he that Josh as a quarterback could pitch it, pitch it backwards to Cam. Now Cam is an eligible Cam, passer. Yeah. <laughs> so now and Cam has a run, run pass <laughs> option. So I, I love this idea. I've been thinking about it, and I'm just like, I don't necessarily see him going back to New England. Maybe he will, but he's not really a clear long-term option for them, and I don't think they're in a win-now situation unless everyone comes back and their defense is Super Bowl caliber once again. So – We'll see. Um, definitely an interesting situation with Cam Newton. Jeff, let's move on to some week 13 takeaways. Obviously, looking back at last week, because Thursday Night Football was week 14, technically. Um, we're going to start with Darren Waller, because he just had played the game of his life. And, you know, unbelievable ceiling was shown with that. And it's funny, because actually one of the critiques for him was that, yeah, he can put up big yardage games, but he doesn't really score a lot of touchdowns. And the yardage games aren't even that big relative to like someone like, what we've seen from George Kittle at his ceiling. Travis Kelsey does it consistently. He's a complete league of his own. Um, but now, Darren Waller's shown this, and Derek Carr looked pretty good. Well, really good, I guess. Um, what are your thoughts on if Kittle is healthy, who do you play Kittle or Waller as the tight end two overall? Um, I think Waller right now because... 
Well, I mean, he's like he is the number one receiving option in that offense, and then Nelson Aguilar behind him. And then behind those two, like it's not too much there. Um, yes, that is some Henry Rugg shade. And <laughs> suppose and like and it's also more pass heavy, and Carr is a better quarterback than Nick Mullins. Whereas San Francisco, um, there's still Debo Samuel, there is still Brandon Ayuk, and they still run the ball um at a higher clip. So um and you also just you don't know necessarily how explosive Kittle is going to be coming off of the injury and if there might be a little bit of rust. So I'll take Darren Waller over George Kittle for the next few weeks if Kittle is back on the field. Yeah, I agree with that. And the only thing I will say is that with the week 13 performance against the Jets, it's worth noting, uh he had 13 catches, 200 yards, two touchdowns on 17 targets. He out gained in terms of yardage and matched his touchdowns over his previous five games in one performance. So, I mean, sure, he had a oh, nine, an 80. I was going up against him last week, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that was Devin. Thank, absolutely thankfully, in a, yeah, thankfully, in a matchup that didn't matter for me. And now I get to face him again this week. So, yep. Well, anyway, Let's hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I think I think Darren Waller is clearly tight end two at this point. Um lacks any sort of floor relative to Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey's floor is basically of a wide receiver one. Um, just unbelievable tier of his own. But yeah, I think that he gets the edge over Kittle at this point if Kittle is back healthy. And I think that the key really is the competition because we've seen Brandon Ayuk emerge. We know Debo Samuel is a baller. There are plenty of other mouths to feed in that San Francisco offense because of Shanahan. And I just think that the Raiders are much less creative and they know what they've got with Darren Waller, which is a size speed freak. Um, who is a mismatch nightmare. So anyway, moving on, Corey Davis, his breakout continues. Reminder that Corey Davis is actually, uh, I guess it's an anagram for COVID's year. And if you didn't know that, uh, we talked about it earlier in the season when someone pointed out on Twitter. Uh, my buddy Jack loves to, to bring that up as well. It's, it's hilarious. But anyways, COVID's year continues to pop off. His breakout continues. 11 catches, 182 yards, and a touchdown in one game. 12, 12 targets last week. Uh, now, it's worth noting the game script. This was a catch-up game for, ta- for Tannehill and the Titans. Um, they were playing from behind. They were throwing it a lot. Tannehill went off in terms of volume stats and fantasy production, so it's worth noting that. But Corey Davis, Jeff, this was a guy I was very high on earlier in his career uh, from a fantasy perspective. You know, Obviously, fifth overall pick, so it's not like this guy came out of the woodwork, but he was very disappointing when he was relying on Mariota to throw on passes. And, you know, A.J. Brown emerged instantly once he got to Tennessee. So it seemed like maybe the problem really was Corey Davis. But now he's really, really balling, even when A.J. Brown is on the field. What are your thoughts on Corey Davis as a dynasty value going forward into 2021 and beyond? I still think he's more of a sell high candidate. Um, You know, these late breakouts, like even Devontae Parker last year, um, he hasn't really replicated that this season. And you kind of just looking at lower end wide receiver two, higher end wide receiver three value. And the he's also um Davis is a free agent at the end of this season. So you don't even know that he'll be back in Tennessee necessarily. And he could end up in maybe a more crowded offense. Maybe he does stay in Tennessee and they sign him to a short term deal but they add another weapon to the offense um 
in, like in the receiving game. Like, so I, I mean, I, I'm not overly bullish on him long term. That's um, fair. Yeah, it is, it is, um, you know, good to see him breaking out and finally kind of putting it together. But he's and he was already an older prospect. He was well. I think he was twenty three so, as a as a as a fifth overall pick, twenty two or twenty three. Um. So anyway, I mean, yeah, so good yeah, good player. Good to see him doing yeah. well, and you know that's a huge ceiling performance for him. Um, you know he's eclipsed a hundred yards receiving four times this year, four touchdowns. Probably going to break a thousand yards overall. So, um. You know, it is what it is. I think that he's probably like on the wide receiver three, wide receiver four borderline for dynasty um, just because of the uncertainty with the situation, because they did decline his fifth year option. Um, we'll see. I think if nothing else, it's good to see him doing well, especially after some personal stuff went down with him and his family earlier this year. So, um, OK, Kiki Kuti, Jeff, another guy coming out of the woodworks, uh, revived out of nowhere. Now, without Will Fuller, you know, he's suspended with the PED six game suspension. Kiki Kuti sees nine targets last week, and shocking, I think the entire world put up eight for 141. Now, didn't shock me. Didn't shock you. Okay. Uh, you know, we've seen Kiki Kuti be a low A dot player in this offense in the past. We've also seen plenty of other players take priority in terms of Deshaun Watson's um, pecking order. But now, without Will Fuller, Kiki Kuti stayed in this, you know, explosive. Uh, you know, big time role and putting up 141 yards on nine targets is no joke. But I have to ask you, Jeff, now we're in fantasy playoffs. There's no time to be experimenting necessarily. We want to feel confident about who's in our lineup. Are you saying that Kiki Kuti is a flex or a fluke? Oh, he's a flex. Absolutely. I mean, he's the wide receiver too right now behind Brandon Cooks. And I mean, with the way the offense, uh, their roles in the offense, are a Kuti could be the better fancy player, not you know, not better NFL player, but better fancy player down this stretch if he's getting um that higher target volume, even if they're they are lower a dot. Um, and he Kiki's a player that I've you know liked since last year as well. So, um, you know, I really think it's just showing like how much of a clown Bill O'Brien was to not be you know just managing the players and their skill sets. Yeah, and unleashing Deshaun Watson. I mean, Watson has gone off since Bill O'Brien left the building. Nuclear. Yeah, and so, I mean, there was no surprise there either, I don't think. Like, anytime you give Deshaun Watson more freedom to do what he likes to do with a talent of his caliber, even when you take away Will Fuller, um, this guy can elevate the entire offense regardless of who's out there, truly. And so, it's really a credit to him. But yeah, Kuti has, has, was really good last week. Um, I also think that the, the funny thing is Kuti was previously a low eight out player Meanwhile, Brandon Cooks was previously a high air yards player. Not anymore. The roles have kind of flipped. I mean, at the very least, Brandon Cooks has been more like an, a low A dot player this year where they kind of take their shots with him later or, or you know, they pick their spots with him, I guess you could say. Uh, so maybe there's a role reversal there. I agree. I think he is a flex. Uh, I picked him up in SFBX before last week. I feel really good about that because now with Antonio Gibson uh, on the mend with the turf toe, we'll talk about that. I think that. Kuti might sneak his way into the lineup uh, in a more wide re- wide receiver heavy situation. So, yeah, I mean, his twelve point seven average target depth last week compared to eleven point seven for Brandon Cooks. Yes, it's one week sample size that we're talking about, but in that kind of PPR 
like slot guy that he was pigeonholed as might not be real. And he has a four four ran a four four three forty. Like he's he has speed to go downfield. It's not like say, I mean Cole Beasley where he's more quick and shifty. And yes, you know, I mean obviously Beasley does create space downfield, but he's not like a breakaway speed type of guy. You know, four four three has that speed to really break away as well. Yeah, and to be completely honest with you, there is not a player that is really a one, you know, a specialist type in this offense anymore. The last three weeks, only Chad Hansen has an A dot over 11.3, and only Duke Johnson has a, an A dot below 10.8. So really, everyone else is kind of in that. Uh, I said Chad Johnson, I think. Duke Johnson uh, is the only player with a low A dot, and that's not surprising considering he's a running back. So uh, speaking of Duke Johnson, it looks like uh, David. Johnson is not going to be traveling with the team and playing. That's a newer development. So keep an eye on that. He is definitely in play if that is the case. Um, Jeff, moving on now to another sneaky little slot guy. I mean, I guess that's at least what Cootie used to be. Uh, Cole Beasley went beast mode once again out of the slot, torching San Francisco for 9, 130 and a touchdown on 11 targets. He's Josh Allen's go-to. I loved, jo- I loved Cole Beasley as a matchup type play, especially in PPP. Uh, PPR formats considering we know that Allen likes to go to him on third down we know that he's explosive on these long crosser routes he can make separation in uh, an an elevator or a phone booth Um, feel great about Beasley as a matchup play now he is putting up numbers consistently that are saying whoa 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 he can be much more than just a matchup play Uh, you know Stefan Diggs has kind of tapered off as a fantasy weapon just because he's not quite producing what he was earlier in the year. Now his volume's still good. He's still by far leading the team in rock the last three weeks, but Cole Beasley is up there as well. And we know that he just has a more reliable role, uh, less air yards than Diggs. Diggs has 39% air yard share the last three weeks. Cole Beasley has 28%, but uh, they have the same amount of red zone looks. We know Gabe Davis has really emerged as a nice weapon um, in John Brown's absence. So what are your thoughts on Cole Beasley? And I guess just this Buffalo wide receiver core as a whole from a fantasy perspective. Well, I mean, Beasley is a fantasy wide receiver too. I mean, he is like on the season, he's wide receiver 20, even just going from um, weeks eight to 13, he's like wide receiver 19 digs and you're right. Digs has kind of fallen off a little bit from that, that fantasy perspective, just not really getting the end zone, but like, I mean, I still think you fire up digs as a wide receiver one and Beasley is a wide receiver two. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, you know, Beasley doesn't have a great floor, um, I guess you could say, considering the way that he can just kind of fade away and, and not get a lot of targets. I think that's just kind of a product of this offense. There are a lot of mouths to feed, or at least there's a lot of people that could absorb big targets this year. But he also has uh, three instances of double digit targets in their last six games. So that's a positive for him. And in all those games, he eclipsed 100 yards. He's basically good for like nine yards per catch. He basically catches everything thrown his way. And he's, a, you know, a pretty sneaky bet for a touchdown, um, you know, the way this offense is rolling. So we'll get back to Buffalo's offense when we talk about the Bills at the end of the show. Let's move on to Justin Jefferson now. And Jeff, um, no pun intended, Justin Jefferson has, you know, we talked about him all year as being like the breakout rookie, the emergent player. Um that I didn't see coming. I just, again, I could not see him doing better than Stephon Diggs did in the same offense that Diggs struggled to produce anything consistently in last year. And yet 
We've seen Justin Jefferson eclipse 100 yards five times this year. He has four touchdowns in his last three games. Now, some of that was without Adam Thielen, but he also is getting a ton of volume. I mean, his last four games, he has 10 targets or more in three of them. And, you know, Thielen was back in the lineup. He outproduced Adam Thielen nine for 121 and a touchdown for Jefferson on 12 targets versus eight for 75 and a touchdown on 11 targets for Thielen. At this point, Jeff, in a vacuum, are you starting Justin Jefferson over Adam Thielen if you can only pick one? Of course. Of course. Okay. I mean, I mean, is this is this a, pro- a product of Adam Thielen just kind of being a more like safe option for Kirk Cousins and just kind of that reliable player while um, while Justin Jefferson is stretching the field? Or is it an age thing? I mean, uh, Thielen has five touchdowns in his last three games and double-digit targets in two of them. So what do you think is the change in this offense? Um, I mean, I mostly think Jefferson's like better, more explosive player. Um, he's been typically getting the higher target share, um, higher target depth, more like more efficient. I mean, he's like a top 10 receiver in efficiency this year. So, I mean, it's just there's no reason not to be firing up Jefferson over Thielen. Yeah, he's also on a historic rookie pace from a wide receiver standpoint. I believe he right now. I think this is the case that he has the most yards per route run, which is a great indicator of fantasy and just NFL success. It's just a really, really good metric um, to evaluate such a thing. Um, I think he has the highest route run ever for a for a rookie wide receiver. And if not, he's like in the top five or top 10, um, you know, may have changed in the last week, but he's just balling. And so uh, continue to fire him up. I think at this point, they're both high end wide receiver twos, if not low end wide receiver ones, you could even maybe push them up some more. I don't think Thielen's been a disappointment. I just think Justin Jefferson has has exceeded anyone's expectations. I don't think Justin Jefferson expected this of himself, but he's we see him do the gritty about every week now. So good for him. I mean, just think though, like if Jefferson's doing this well, like what is Jamar Chase going to do? Exactly. I mean, I said I said in my in my Justin Jefferson profile as an NFL draft player and as a fantasy player, Jamar Chase is the better player. Like there is no question in my mind when they're both on the field in 2019 with Joe Burrow as a quarterback, Jamar Chase stood above Justin Jefferson. And so you're very, very right to point that out and say, what is Jamar Chase going to do once he gets to the league when he is when he was good on the same field? Uh, You know, I think we're seeing a product of the underrated Kirk Cousins, uh, at least from a fantasy perspective and making fantasy players pop. you know, inflate some of these stats, but at the same time, yeah, he's talented and Jamar Chase is probably much better. So yeah, that's a scary thought. Um, Okay, Jeff, uh, last two here. We're going to start with David Montgomery. He fulfilled the boom game prediction. Uh, I feel very good about that call in the DFS preview. It was a great matchup. He was coming off a big game, 11 for 103, uh, and then five for 40 and a touchdown receiving in week 12 against Green Bay, which was a good matchup. And then he got Detroit. And so you know, we thought it was a good a good time to play him again, which it was 17 carries, 72 yards, two touchdowns, four catches for 39 yards. Uh, he's he's had a great two game run after the bye and after that concussion that took him out in week nine. Um, so, Jeff, David Montgomery, we're going into the fantasy playoffs, a guy who has burned a lot of people over the last two years just because he's been inefficient and not scoring a lot of touchdowns in a pretty bad uh, Chicago offense. But all of a sudden. He's producing like an RB1. Where are you ranking him going into the fantasy playoffs? He gets Houston, which is a pretty good inviting matchup for an early down rusher. 
like David Montgomery? Um, more like that higher end RB two range. Um, I mean, maybe can go into the lower end RB one just with the matchups: Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville. Like it's a pretty good three team stretch. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I have them at. Um, you know, I think last week, yeah, like found the end zone two times, also still only had 72 yards. So he does look better, but I still think there's just other better players at the position. So, um, but yeah, good matchups to end the season and kind of has like his opportunity. It gives him like a really solid floor. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see him playing well because I really do think he's a talented player. I think he's been a victim of a pretty poor offensive line and a pretty poor offense overall, including including the quarterback play, including the scheme and the play calling. But this goes to show you again, you know, to everyone a reminder that running backs are typically a product of their offensive line and their offensive scheme first and second, and then their talent comes into play. Like there are certain ones who can overcome really, really shitty situations and, and shitty offensive line play. But even then, that's you know, rare, and that's why the argument about running, running backs don't matter comes into play. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, they obviously do, and it's good to see Dave Montgomery producing because his volume indicated for a long time that, that he should be. So uh, good on him. I agree. High-end RB2 in the fantasy playoffs. I think if you need to start him as an RB1, uh, hopefully you went zero RB and you have a stacked wide receiver core to compensate. So, Jeff, last one from a Week 13's takeaway. Week 13 takeaways standpoint, Taysom Hill shredded Atlanta once again. He threw his first and second touchdowns of his career, uh, passing touchdowns that is. Two of his three starts have now come against Atlanta, and he beat them both, uh, or he he really killed it in both, 233 yards and 10 carries for 49 yards and two touchdowns in the first matchup. And then in this one, he threw 37 passes. He had 232 yards, two passing touchdowns, 14 carries, 83 rushing yards. So he has now had double-digit carries in every start in the last three. He also has four rushing touchdowns in that time. His floor is four, uh, 44 rushing yards. And we've also seen a pretty low floor from a passing perspective. In Denver, the one game he hasn't played against Atlanta, um, he threw for 78 yards on 16 attempts with an interception, which was tipped, I believe. Uh, still had a, a nice rushing role that supplant or that um, rose um, that brought up his ceiling in that game. But now we're going to Philadelphia. It's a pretty decent matchup, I think. And then Kansas City, probably more of a shootout type game. We know that the New Orleans offense or defense, excuse me, we know that the New Orleans defense is good enough to hold this team uh, at least to uh, a close margin if they are trailing at all. And so I think that bodes well for his rushing to continue, especially with this volume. But is the passing, Jeff, a fluke and a product of just this kind of porous Atlanta defense? Or are we actually seeing Taysom Hill turn into a real effective passer in the NFL? Um, I think it's both. Um, you know, I think week one, a lot of it was just kind of, like you said, porous defense made things easier. But, you know, last week, from what I saw, he did look to just be settling in a lot more, more, more comfortable back there and going through his progressions that's just feeding Michael Thomas. And look, it's not like this Eagles secondary is really that good either. Yeah. They've added some, uh, um, more pieces with Darius Slay, 
Um, but I I don't think he's that good. And um, I mean, the rushing floor that Taysom gives you is just fantastic for fantasy purposes. And now on the other side of the ball, we also have the perhaps new Konami code quarterback, Jalen Hurts. I mean, what's the mm. over-under for combined rushing yards between these two quarterbacks tomorrow? That should probably be like 70. Um, that sounds slow. Like I was thinking like 125. <laughs> 125? I okay, don't know that, about that. That. Might be, that might be a little high, but... I, th- I think I that's mean, way too that, high. I that just think, real, I think we know really that Jalen Hurts... Oh, it'll be a great game to watch. I'm excited. We're going to talk about Jalen Hurts right in the next segment, but I think for, in terms of your question, what should the over-under be set at for rushing yards for these two quarterbacks? I think if you look at it, Taysom Hill's probably a good bet between like 40 and 60. Uh, typically, that's where he's fallen, and we know he's a, an effective one, and he's and he's running about in double-digit volume range. Um, I think with Jalen Hurts, we don't necessarily – we can't necessarily predict that he is going to get that kind of volume. I think he's going to be an effective runner, but I would put him between like 20 and 30. So when I think about that, you know, that's, that's somewhere in the 60, 70 range. So that's where I, that's where I landed. But yes, that's going to be a fun game to watch because these are two dynamic players, obviously very different stages in their career, but Taysom Hill is is going on his fourth start and Jalen Hurts is going on his first. So not too different, I guess. Um, Jeff, you're feeling confident starting Taysom Hill as a quarterback one in the playoffs, correct? I think so. <laughs> I mean, I am starting him, so I hope. Yes. I mean, this is kind of why the why the late round QB strategy is is there. Um, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I started the year with Lamar Jackson, as we kind of mentioned, and it wasn't that it was as a keeper, so I wasn't paying like full market value. And I mean, he's been largely disappointing, and now rolling out Taysom Hill with Jalen Hurts sitting on the flex. And I'm attempting to go through this final three game stretch with these two guys who started out as backups. Um, that's why the, you know, late round QB strategy is what it has been the more effective way to approach the position. But um, I don't know. It's like always seems feels a little uncomfortable when you don't just have a stud, but you know, it's the process, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I trust think the process. You got to trust it. Uh, it's a good indication of what the Konami code is capable of. When you look at a guy like Cam Newton, you look at a guy like Taysom Hill, who, you know, Taysom Hill, not necessarily the same exact situation, but we're seeing their fantasy value come from their legs. And any passing, uh, uh, you know, addition is just that. It's just a cherry on top, really. And so you're really getting like an RB2, a high-end RB2, floor with these rushing quarterbacks and with an rb1 ceiling and then you get to add the passing work on top so it's kind of like getting those receiving that receiving work for someone like kamara or something like that rip to his receiving game i guess that's kind of a deep cut there um okay so we're talking about jalen hurts let's move on to week 14 storylines so the eagles now have moved on to jalen hurts he he came in at the end of last week and now uh he is making his first career start over Carson Wentz, who was healthy. They do lose Jason Peters to IR. He's been battling a toe injury, and that's been limiting him the last couple of weeks. And now all of a sudden, he's on IR. So this offensive line is even in a worse position. And so we already talked about it. They're facing the New Orleans defense, which is a good defense. Um, this is a not a great spot start for him um, in term, from his NFL value. I think that you know, he should be only started as a QB two option uh, in super flex leagues. I think, you know, the Konami code, like we talked about, 
it could raise his floor. Um, I just think that it's a pretty risky endeavor considering we don't necessarily know what this offense looks like with him over a full game. We don't know exactly how much he's going to run. So it's a risky fantasy play. But from a NFL standpoint, Jeff, you know how big of a fan I am of him. I know you're a big fan of him as well. We talked to Hayden Winks about Jalen Hurts uh, before the season started back in the summer after the draft or before the draft and after the draft. Um, But I just have to say, man, I am so excited to see Jalen Hurts get a start because one of the quotes from my player profile for him going into the NFL draft was give this guy a chance and he's going to take over and become the face of your franchise. And I had no idea when he went to Philadelphia that Carson Wentz was going to fall off a cliff like he has, but I think we're about to see it happen. Um, Again, not an ideal first, uh, first matchup to have for your first start. It is what it is, but I think I saw enough in his uh, first real quarterback action last week to feel confident that Jalen Hurts is going to continue to move this offense forward and provide a spark, especially with his legs. But also, don't forget, he's got great downfield touch. He got the ball to Jalen Regor. Um, He's got Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard healthy. So um, what are your thoughts on Jalen Hurts' rest of season? And I guess from an NFL standpoint. Um, Man... I like him. I didn't pay as much attention to him coming out as you did, but um, you know he was still good at Alabama, and he only got benched because of Tua, who was the top um, draft pick this year. And then he lit it up at Oklahoma, so there's not really too much not to like. And I mean, kind of ironically, the roles are flipped from his time at Alabama when he was the starter, getting benched for the promising young rookie freshman. So he's been in like the opposite situation. And I mean, I, so I think he'll be able to handle it fine and we'll see what the talent is. Um, I did think he looked pretty good last week. He looked better than Carson Wentz. That's for sure. Um, you know, going forward for the Eagles. I, I mean, I think he absolutely had to make this move because Wentz has just been awful he's down there with sam donald and drew lock on the season it would be really tough for hurts to uh be really any worse and given wentz's like massive contract you have to see what you potentially have in hurts and whether or not you um might be able to move on from carson this off season and you know minimize the cap casualty in the long run and um while you still have a young quarterback on a rookie deal or if you perhaps might have to just rebuild around Carson for the future and hope he can get back to not being awful or even potentially just have to completely gut the whole thing and look for a completely new quarterback so it was the move that they had to make for like football reasons both for the remainder of the season and um, seeing what their long-term situation is going to look like. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree. I thought the pick was really good at the time. I gave it an A+. Um, I was ab- absolutely shocked that it was Philadelphia of all teams that took him because we thought that Carson Wentz... Because remember, Carson Wentz was like MVP caliber before he tore his ACL in 2017, and then they won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And then he had 2018 and 2019 where he dealt with some of his own injuries and just an absolutely depleted Eagles offense. And that resulted in him carrying the team. I mean, literally last year in 2019, he was carrying the team. He was playing high level ball. And now we're seeing him, you know, he was kind of up and down. I talked about it early in the year. The problem with Carson Wentz was that he was keeping the Eagles on the hook because he would play a good first half and a shitty second half or vice versa. 
and that either took them out of the game early and they, maybe he brought them closer but couldn't finish. Uh, it, it was just, you know, it's it's like you'd almost rather someone just be really shitty so that you know you can move on rather than keep you on the hook because mediocrity is the death of any franchise in the NFL. It'll lead you to, you know, not winning the division. At Chicago to- Bears. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is the right move for Philadelphia. I think they should have done it sooner, to be completely honest with you. Um, but at the very least, I'm glad that Jalen Hurts is getting the start rather than starting Carson Wentz, watching him struggle again, and then going to Jalen Hurts. You need to give this guy a chance to run the first team offense in practice and really prepare for the matchup. So I'm excited. Uh, very, very, very excited to watch him play. I really hope that he does well. And I also hope that this ignites something for Jalen Rager too, because he has had a pretty disappointing rookie season. You know, obviously he's had his, uh, a myriad of his own injuries to deal with and shortened off season. So Really tough rookie eval for him, but he hasn't been the player that we were looking for, except for last week when he had that explosive punt return, big 34-yard catch down the sideline. So anyway, Jeff, uh, does Jalen Hurts coming into the lineup? We know that the rushing threat is there. He's definitely a better runner than Carson Wentz, even though Wentz is a above-average rushing quarterback himself, just doesn't command the same respect that Jalen Hurts will. Uh, we've talked a lot about how a running quarterback opens up lanes for the running back next to them. So in recent weeks, we saw Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders go from an early season bell cow uh, doing pretty well in, in terms of final volume, final production uh, to now he's lost that that role. I mean, Jordan Howard comes in, gets signed, elevated off the practice squad, getting snaps. That sucks. Boston Scott remains involved. So Miles Sanders doesn't have the volume we can rely on anymore. And he hasn't been producing of late. So does Jalen Hurts coming in the lineup bring Miles Sanders back into that RB2 range? Obviously, if you have Miles Sanders, you probably have to start him uh, considering what he costs to acquire most likely, uh, probably back in draft day. But what are your thoughts on Miles Sanders now that Jalen Hurts is starting? Um, I still think he's a mid-tier running back too until he shows otherwise. Um, You know, the... Hertz's rushing ability could work two ways if they do design some zone read type of options it like we saw with um baltimore and lamar it can open up better rushing lanes by changing the numbers in the box and improve his rushing efficiency and that will increase his fantasy value on the opposite side his already near zero receiving work could go like completely to zero because the mobile quarterbacks typically don't check it down to running backs as much due to either keeping the ball themselves or being able to extend plays and find um, better targets downfield than just dumping it off in the flats. So, you know, it's goes both ways. I think it's can't really hurt because on the receiving end, because it is already so low. And so I think we're more likely to see his mobility, uh, the mobility of Hertz, hopefully open up rushing lanes for Sanders. But um, at the current volume he's getting, you can't really feel comfortable firing up more than like a higher end running back two um, until we see otherwise. And like at this point, I still, I think Wayne Gallman's probably a better start. And Definitely. I think it's a push between like Miles Sanders, Gio Bernard and Mike Davis this week. You know, I obviously Sanders is the more athletic, more talented player but um i don't really know that he's really a better fantasy player at this point yeah i mean new Orleans has been really stout against running backs all year as well i mean earlier in the year they were giving up some big games here and there but 
uh, as of late. I mean, they haven't given up more than 13 yard or 13 points since their week six bye to a, an opposing running back room. So it uh, doesn't bode well for the matchup, but I do think that the running lanes will open up and that will help mitigate some of the uh, offensive line issues that we've seen. And the other thing is, while the pa- while the pass game volume might go down as a result, one thing I've talked about all year is how Carson Wentz was absolutely allergic to throwing an accurate pass to Miles Sanders. And when he overcame that allergy and threw in the EpiPen and he actually threw it to Miles Sanders accurately, Miles Sanders was so surprised to get an accurate pass that he would typically drop it. <laughs> so it has been an absolute huge point of frustration for me, especially early on when Sanders was like just missing these like high end RB1 weeks because he wasn't quite getting big time uh, receiving work. And so anyway, that's the last point there. And then one other thing to watch with the Eagles, I really hope that this is just going to be fixed by having more practice reps and working with the first team offense. But for whatever reason, every time that I've seen Jalen Hurts in the game, there has been some issue with the snap or with the handoff, something. And I'm I'm just going to chalk that up to practice time. But I'll say watch out for that, because for whatever reason, they have struggled with that when he's been in the game. So hopefully uh, now as a QB one, he will overcome that. Jeff, Julio hamstring strikes again. This is unfortunate. We've seen him struggle with a hamstring injury all year, and now he is officially ruled out for week 14. So we know that Calvin Ridley, we were talking about it offline. Calvin Ridley has not been the same player that we are used to seeing, uh, at least from the earlier part of the year. He has had a really nice floor, and I would say he's like no lower than a mid-tier wide receiver too in terms of floor. However, uh, you know, he's still uh, 10th ranked in half PPR this season, but that is really on the back of that early season stretch where he put up 239 yards and four touchdowns in the first two weeks against really bad defenses. We, we later found out Seattle and Dallas. Uh, but last week, five for 108 on 10 targets. He's had no less than nine targets since their bye in week 10. And, uh, you know, I think that this is probably a pretty good matchup for him. I think that this is probably going to be a shootout with L.A. and uh, Atlanta. And with the condensed target s- situation, when he didn't have Julio and he didn't have Austin Hooper last year, Calvin Ridley went off. So what are your thoughts on Calvin Ridley's outlook in week 14? And also is Russell Gage a flex play in week 14? Um, I think Calvin Ridley's a wide receiver too this week. Uh, the he I think he averages something like a you know, small sample size, but about two and a half more targets per game when Julio's out. Um, it, it does raise his floor because of you know the increased target volume. I'm not <clears throat> the in terms of the ceiling. You know, I, there's you know, it's a small sample size, so it's tough to say uh, exactly what this does to the ceiling because when Julio is in the offense, the the entire ceiling of the offense is higher. And I mean, he, I think they are averaging 100 fewer yards per game with Julio out of the lineup this season. It's a good point. It's a good point. Like that's that's massive. So. You kind of like on one side, you're raising the target share and target volume for Calvin Ridley. On the other, you might be lowering the like touchdown upside. Um, is you know, when they get into the red zone, Ridley is already getting most of the looks compared to Julio for whatever reason. His entire career, Julio Jones has been allergic to scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So, if you're not really increasing his red zone opportunity but you're decreasing the team's red zone trips because julio's not in it 
know, I, I don't think it really raises Ridley's ceiling like as much as it might appear. So I do think you're pushing him up into that like mid-tier wide receiver two range. And partly that's just because wide receiver two is or I mean wide receiver is just so deep this year. Like the drop off from lower end wide receiver one to like uh low end wide receiver two isn't that drastic. So, you know, for firing him up in the playoffs, like said you're penciling him him in for 10 plus targets this week that is a, a phenomenal floor that most receivers don't have so um i just don't know how comfortable you can you know if you can really expect him to go off for two touchdowns like you saw for like a complete you know game winning week that we saw the first two games of the season yeah you know he started the season so hot he was like the number one player in fantasy um you know he had over 100 yards in each of the first three weeks he had four touchdowns in that time no less than 10 targets in that time and then he had a dud in week four came back hot in week five um he had in half ppr he put up 55.8 fantasy points um the next two closest were Devontae adams and deandre hopkins at like 39 points and then so that's just the first two weeks. He's like said sixteen points more than the next closest. And he was the Eight he was popping more. as the number one over producer during that time as well. I believe now he was getting great. Sure, volume. I mean whenever you do that, like you're going to. Now since then weeks three through thirteen, he is wide receiver twenty five. As we mentioned, you know it's partly due to injury, partly due to cooling off. Um, another side of it is the defense has gotten better. Like, you know, those first five games of the season, I think, is that when they fired, whenever they, since they fired um, Quinn as their head coach, the, the defense has gotten better and we haven't had as many shootouts as there were to start the season. So the like offense, the total offensive volume isn't exactly what it was either, which also does matter a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, another thing too is, yeah, he was getting good receiving yardage and good uh, a, a good number of receptions, which raises his floor um, and it does well. But you really need those touchdowns if you're going to be in the wide receiver one conversation. And since those four touchdowns in the first two weeks, Jeff, he has scored th- uh, two, uh, three, and he has scored three touchdowns in the ensuing nine weeks. So that really speaks to the the drop off from that wide receiver one range, just because, I mean, it's just, you know, you really can't get there without, unless you're Julio Jones, you really can't get there without, uh, touchdowns. And so now we look over at Russell Gage to your credit about the conversation about Julio Jones opens up more volume, but reduces the overall ceiling of the offense. Uh, Russell Gage up in week 11, 12 targets, seven for 58. Um, and then when Julio or without, sorry, that was without him in the lineup. So he had 12 targets. That's good, but he didn't have a very efficient performance at all. Julio Jones comes back into the lineup in week 12 or in week 13, he has four for 51 and a touchdown on eight targets. But in week 12, he didn't have Julio Jones in the lineup. He only saw five targets, three for 34. So you're very right that Julio Jones does have a positive impact when in there. So we'll see. Uh, I think they're both in play, obviously, in their respective ranges. But it's just not as cut and dry as it might be in another situation uh, when the wide receiver one is out. So anyway, Jeff, DeAndre Swift is likely to return in week 14. It looks like he's trending that way. We can't be certain he's missed the last three games, but we know that before that, uh, DeAndre Swift was really ascending. You know, we saw Cam Akers break out, but before Cam Akers broke out, it was really DeAndre Swift season. Uh, His two games before his injury, he had 13 and 16 carries respectively, three and five catches respectively. Uh, He saw 
68 receiving yards in that week 10 matchup against Washington. Really, really explosive player. Finally seeing legit volume. Are you firing him up as anything less than a high-end RB2 if he is healthy? Uh, nope, that is <clears throat> that is right where I have him. And I think it's a really good matchup this week against Green Bay. Um, I mean, and the other thing is like Adrian Peterson's kind of taken more of a bell cow role while Swift has been out, which could actually be a good indicator for what Swift's role will be if he is active and completely healthy that, Hey, like they're not splitting time right now that much between AP and carry on. And maybe they're just, that's just how they want the offense to run. It's just like, you know, with one guy in the field and um, Babel has talked about trying to increase the, the pace of the offense. So those could really be positive indicators for Swift and his ceiling. If he's able to just step in and basically take all of AP's touches and then carry on's touches go to AP and he just ends up accepting right into that RB one role with a great ceiling um, this week against green Bay. Yeah. I mean, Adrian Peterson continues to defy the odds. I am um, above market on him every single year. I like to take him in basketball because he does have boom weeks and he's had two in the last two weeks uh, without DeAndre Swift. He's had 15 and 16 carries, 55 and 57 yards and two touchdowns both times. He's had very consistent performances uh, the last two weeks. And, you know, it's it's not something that's really going to win you weeks if you're starting him. It's kind of unpredictable. He can have a pretty low floor, but he's still putting up good numbers. And I think to your credit, Jeff, you're pointing out that the volume is there for whoever is the RB1 when healthy. I think DeAndre Swift is clearly the better option. I think he is being seen as the better option now with no more Matt Patricia. So that is a really good sign for him. I like firing him up as a high end RB2 this week as well if he is healthy. Um Another guy who is uh, an injury monitoring situation is Christian McCaffrey. And this was my fear about him, Jeff. With the week 13 bye, you knew you weren't getting him in what is typically the last week of the regular season. You know, if you had him, maybe you didn't have to worry about week 13 like you didn't have to in our main league. But regardless, he was out last week. And now he looks to be out in week 14. He had a shoulder injury. Then he picked up a thigh injury. And this was my concern about McCaffrey is that his body was not right this year. He just kept getting hurt and he kept getting hurt. And you know, it's it's just unfortunate. It's not like it's super predictable. I'm not saying that I was calling that he was injury prone or anything like that, but more so that when you get to crunch time and you've got an asset who has name value like Christian McCaffrey with no guarantee of playing, I thought that it was a good time to get rid of him. And it looks like that is the case, at least in week 14. So we could be back in week 15. He could try to win you the league in 15 and 16. Hopefully you don't play week 17. But anyway, we're talking about Mike Davis now in week 14. And I'll say this, Jeff, he had an unbelievable stretch when he first took over for Christian McCaffrey in this offense. He was like an unbelievable fantasy asset. He you get him on the waiver wire uh, and he was winning games. He's winning weeks for people. And then, you know, the last couple of times he's played for Christian McCaffrey, he was disappointing. I mean, he just really didn't. He wasn't as explosive. He wasn't as efficient. He wasn't seeing the receiving volume that he was earlier in the year when he was getting like eight, nine catches. Uh, he didn't get as many. He hasn't received many touchdown opportunities. So, yeah, he had 19 and 15 carries in weeks 11 and 12, but only two and three catches during that time. So I think the ceiling for Mike Davis is lower than we once thought it was. Uh, and the floor is still pretty good because we know he's going to get a lot of volume. But in terms of Mike Davis, 
Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore is likely to be out this week if he isn't already ruled out. Um, are um, he might, Moore might be able to play. Oh, really? That's a development. Yeah, he just he just needs to uh, get a couple negative tests and he'll be good to go. Okay, so if he isn't in, I think Curtis Samuel is a pretty sneaky wide receiver two target. Um, however, you know we'll just have to monitor that situation. I just don't think you know Mike Davis was like locked in RB one play without Christian McCaffrey earlier in the year, and that has just proven to not be the case uh, in recent times where he has played in his absence. So anyways, monitor Christian McCaffrey news going into week 14. Um, Jeff, last thing I have for week 14 storylines before we get to DSF, DFS preview is that the fantasy football world lost Antonio Gibson to a turf toe injury in week 13. That sucked. I mean, this guy was scorching, scorching hot in the last couple of weeks. And he was, you know, ascended into the RB1 ranks. We were talking about his fantasy stock approaching top five for running backs. Like you said, you said he was a top six uh, dynasty running back. And now he's got the turf toe injury. So that obviously clouds his rest of season outlook for 2020. Not worried about him long term at all. But um, this is a concern for this for the rest of this year. Now, J.D. McKissick has fallen off since that unbelievable stretch when Alex Smith took over as the uh, predominant pass catcher in the league at the running back position. Now, without Antonio Gibson, I expect a lot of J.D. McKissick, and I expect a lot of Peyton Barber as the early down grinder. Uh, is J.D. McKissick a top 15 option in PPR leagues in Week 14 if Antonio Gibson is officially ruled out? Mm, I have a tough time really putting him in the top 15 because you are like really banking on the uh, receiving, like the receptions to get him there, and Peyton Barber's going to. Uh, sorry, uh, Peyton Barber is going to pro- likely get a lot of the rushing work. So I really just don't like putting kind of game script dependent receiving backs that high up. You know, I think maybe more like RB twenty to twenty four, um, and especially because I don't think McKissick really has like um, breakout upside either. So I, I think you can probably pencil him in for something in like the eight to 15 range pretty comfortably. Uh, I would put him below miles Gaskin this week, like as a reference. And I'd probably in like probably below Gallman and Gio Bernard, like, so probably just like kind of right below that tier. But I do think he is like a player you can feel comfortable enough starting in your lineup and like that RB two to flex range, depending on what your other options are. Yeah, he is a player that um, when they're trailing or when they're playing fast, they use J.D. McKissick above everyone else. And so um, Alex Smith has been able to push the ball down the field a little bit more than than, you know, his uh, I guess his reputation would suggest. But still, I mean, J.D. McKissick saw 10 catches in week 13 uh, once Antonio Gibson went down to turn those into 70 yards receiving hasn't been much as a rusher. And I don't think we should really expect a lot of touchdowns, but I think from a pure receiving standpoint, I mean, he saw nine catches for 65 yards in week nine and 10, uh, sorry, in week 10, he had seven catches for 43 yards, followed it up with three and two catch performances when Antonio Gibson was really just going off, especially in that week 12 Dallas performance. But I still think that Gib- that McKissick offers a pretty nice receiving floor uh, as a mid-tier RB2 option this week. And, you know, there's always the upside for more if you can find the end zone. So uh, we shall see. Um, Jeff, let's move on to the DFS preview now. And so it's time to talk about our favorite game stacks for week 14. 
Uh, I think we are we're approaching the territory where I think we have a lot of really good indicators. We have a good sense of what offenses look like, what teams um, are doing with their players, especially within the game script. So I think we can probably have a pretty good read on this slate. What say you? What are your favorite stacks going into week 14? Um, I like uh, it's kind of like a skinny stack. I actually kind of like the Dallas Bengals and for like skinny stack and low ownership. Um, you know, uh, because like, neither defense is good. We've seen Dalton's been able to get some pretty good production um, now and things are clicking. And then Dallas's secondary is also weak. So I think you can go and try and fire up like T Higgins or Tyler Boyd. Again, not that either is, you know, like safe, but you know, we're, we're just looking for the upside and we know both of them have upside, especially against that defense. So it's kind of like a uh, low ownership, skinny stack play. I think Bengals Cowboys is pretty good. And they, those two teams have the second highest combined snap share on the slate this week behind only the uh, chargers Falcons. Well, there you go. That's an interesting one for sure. Uh, you know, I think we're seeing Tony Pollard uh, continue to show that he's probably the better player. I mean, I think that you and I have been on record of that too. So he could be an interesting play if for some reason that he takes over, uh, you know, wouldn't be like he's, he's on, a, ahead of Zeke on the depth chart by any means, but you know, always an interesting low ownership uh, share of that offense. Um, you know, another one that is interesting this week um, that is on the main slate one o'clock game, Arizona and New, and New York, the Giants. Um, I, I re- continue to be interested in Evan Ingram as an option. I think he's getting good volume. Obviously, Arizona is really high powered. With Kyler at the quarterback, uh, it's going to be expensive if you want to stack with them. But I'm not too enamored with the running back options in Arizona. I do like when Wayne Gallman. We've talked about him a good bit. Um, you've been on him. I've been on him. So I think that New York has some... Uh, players in play for the run back if you want to go with an expensive Arizona stack. Um, What else are you liking this week, Jeff? Uh, The Raiders-Colts game is another interesting one. Uh, We obviously just saw, as we discussed, Darren Waller go nuclear, and uh, you have a pretty condensed offense. It's weird, I guess I should say, because on the Raiders side, pretty condensed offense with in the passing game being Waller and Aguilar. And then you do have a still pretty cheap running back in Booker. Not that I'm really excited to fire him up. But then on the cold side, it's the exact opposite where nobody has a strong target share and uh, the ball just gets spread around so much. But Jonathan Taylor is finally breaking out. So like it's pretty much wheels up for him. And, you know, it's surprising. Shouldn't say necessarily say surprisingly, but the big knock on him, as we said, coming out was his receiving work. And now, you know, this season, he is a top three efficient um, running back in the receiving game. Not saying he is already one of the three best receiving backs in the league, but I'm just saying that in terms of efficiency numbers, he has been top three this year. So looking at that game, you could say, okay, let's build the game script where the Colts get up. And then they're running the clock a lot more towards the end. And it's just feeding Jonathan Taylor. And then on the flip side, the Raiders are passing the ball and trying to catch up. So you could go and either do just like a skinny stack of 
Jonathan Taylor with Darren Waller or Jonathan Taylor with Nelson Aguilar, or you could even just do the full game stack of Carr, uh, one or two Raiders passing options, and have Taylor in your run back that way. Okay. I think that's a pretty good uh, synopsis there. I think Jonathan Taylor has definitely um, come into play now. And I think the other thing is that Naheem Hines has maintained fantasy utility during that time as well. Um, there's actually a league. It's a pretty sad situation I'm in with running backs. I had Saquon to start the year. I had a couple other injuries that uh, are no longer uh, playable guys. But uh, I am actually starting Jonathan Taylor at my RB1 spot. And then I think I'm starting Naheem Hines at the flex. And I don't hate it that much. I mean, it's just a situation, you know, I'm not going to get that much upside uh, captured there because, you know, at best, they're probably both like RB2 options. More likely one of them emerges in that game. But it's the state of affairs there. Uh, at the very least, I think Naheem Hines remains a very playable piece in DFS and fantasy uh, season long. Um, but anyway, Jeff, another one that's interesting is Tennessee Jacksonville. Now, it's in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. We know what Derrick Henry has done to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has especially in December. He is their father. Um, he <laughs> he owns the Jacksonville Jaguars now, actually. You know, he is the owner. I don't know how they allow. I think this. I saw that on Wikipedia. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, it's funny because week two, uh, obviously, that wasn't in December where Derrick Henry, you know, later in the year, he just continues to destroy teams. Uh, he went for 25 carries, 84 yards, no touchdowns, no catches in week two against Jacksonville. So it's not like we're standing on really firm ground, but we know that Derrick Henry probably has the highest rushing ceiling of anyone in the league. Uh, we also know that he could have the highest touchdown equity of anyone in the league. And I think week 14 at Jacksonville, I think actually that week two matchup uh, bodes well for his ownership. I don't think people are going to be like, oh, he's going to do it again. Uh, kind of like what happened with Indy. He had 19 for 103 in one catch in week 10 against Indy. And then their second matchup in week 12, 27, 178 and three touchdowns. I think Derrick Henry is a lights out play this week. Um, and, you know, if you're going to stack that game, I think you could probably throw DJ Chark in there. Uh, it's not like it's not like a great one because I think that Indy's or excuse me, Tennessee's passing game was inflated by the game script last week. And I don't think that's going to be the case this week. They're about a touchdown favorite. So more likely to be a Derrick Henry type situation. Uh, but, you know, you could throw in multiple options from that offense, including Derrick Henry. And then you could run it back with James Robinson if he's healthy. And then DJ Chark is always a high ceiling, low floor play as well. So any other stacks you want to talk about this week, Jeff? Um, I have a couple, so I'll just go through them a little quickly. The interesting one to me is Kansas City and Miami because you never want to fade Patrick Mahomes, but Miami does have one of the best secondaries. Um, and not that I'm saying they'll shut Mahomes down, but it makes me kind of wonder at, at the price that Mahomes is at, I, I don't really know if he's really – worth paying all the way up for this week because i think there are other players that could match that ceiling or exceed it and be cheaper um and on the dolphin side um he, you have some options it's like not super sexy i would probably say obviously parker's the number one uh, but gaseki is in play as well and i overall i just think you know skinny stack it so um you know tyreek or kelsey on one side and then or maybe you just play Tyreek and Kelsey and, you know, uh, to get your like, Mahomes exposure and go somewhere else. But it's just the Chiefs offense is just so expensive to stack. 
or hey, maybe it's like Sammy Watkins, Martingale week. Um, uh, you know, he's he's due for one or two each year, and I hasn't really had it had it yet this year. Um, Packers Lions is another game that we've mentioned a little bit. Packers have been you know really good this year. Lions defense is not. Um, and then Lions pretty condensed offense. So you know, the tough part with the Lions is like their running backs are really like their best fantasy players, maybe TJ Hawkinson, Packers. Uh, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory at this point. Maybe if high up Robert Tanyan as like your kind of dart throw what the hell type of tight end play, if as like the second part of your stack or um, uh, like if you want like Rogers Adams, Tanyan, or maybe Rogers Jones, Tanyan, uh, I think those are some options. Um, then just because we were talking about them a little bit earlier with the Carolina offense, um, Denver starting cornerback, um, AJ Bouye, I'm pronouncing that right, is suspended for PEDs. So uh, that really puts kind of a hole in the defense for Teddy Bridgewater to potentially pick apart especially if DJ Moore is active, but even if he's not, um, as you mentioned, Curtis Samuel and then Robbie Anderson become both really attractive plays as well. Okay. Good stuff. Um, I think that speaking of Robbie, oh, Anderson, we forgot to, we forgot the Eagles Saints game. Well, you know, I like playing Taysom Hill because uh, he's someone that I think people are still like very, I guess, uncertain about if he's actually a reliable player. Um, I think we know that he targets Michael Thomas a lot. We know that the running game is rolling, whether that be Latavius Murray or Alvin Kamara. And we know that he has a really high floor because of his own rushing. So I like playing around Taysom Hill. Uh, and I think that the Eagles have uh, a very, uh, I think they're probably going to be pretty low owned this week because it's Jalen Hurts' first start against a, a good defense. So it's a bad matchup. But with that said, we know Dallas Goddard is a really good player. Jalen Rigor is going to have a big game one of these weeks. Um, so I think there are definitely some guys in play in that matchup as well. Yeah, I want to do a couple. I'll, we'll definitely build a few lineups with like um, like Taysom, Thomas, Rigor, or Hertz, Rigor, Thomas, or some sort of like. You know, Hertz, Goddard, smalls. Thomas. Yeah, that works. You know, only, we'll only be doing one receiving option for each quarterback. I think, I don't think you really, especially Taysom yeah, Hill, but probably hurts. I don't think these are players that you need to double stack because we're anticipating so much of their fantasy value to come from their legs. Um, but I, I do think it's a game that you want to get some exposure around. I completely agree. On, and on both sides. Yeah. And Thomas remains a really high opportunity player. He's I think second uh, in the last three weeks behind only Tyreek Hill. Uh, and he's, you know, two of the last three games, he's had nine catches and 100 yards, no touchdowns. We can't really expect a lot of touchdowns for him, considering Taysom Hill just threw his first two of his career last week. Uh, and the offense is just kind of, you know, grinding it out, running with Taysom, running with his running game and throwing to Thomas. And then once it gets to the red zone, it's kind of a toss up. So uh, there's at least that worth pointing out. Um, one other matchup I'll say that could be a pretty decent secondary stack is the Jets and Seattle. Uh, the reason I like it is because this is the biggest spread of the week, I believe. Um, the Seahawks are favored by two touchdowns. I think that this is probably going to be a Chris Carson game if he's healthy. He's been limited this week um, with a foot injury. You know, he's been banged up this year. But I think the Jets uh, present what looks like in the last couple of weeks, last three weeks, you know, they haven't given up a lot of uh, fantasy points to opposing running backs. I don't think they've had very good running backs that they've faced the last couple of weeks. 
So I think Chris Carson, you know, we know he can have a hundred yard game. We know he can have multi-touchdown games. And he also has a really good receiving role in this offense. Russ really trusts him and he's actually, you know, a much better receiver than he's given credit for. So I think Chris Carson uh, is a pretty good uh, main piece of the secondary stack. And then we've talked about Denzel Mims the past couple of weeks, although he's out. And so I think that we saw Jameson Crowder um, put up two touchdowns no, Jam- last week. Jameson Crowder is out. I didn't see No, I think it's just Crowder who's out. No, no, no. Mims is out. Crowder's questionable. So I was going to say, if if uh, if Crowder plays through the calf injury, then oh, yeah. we saw seven targets, two touchdowns last week against Vegas. And Seattle is probably still the most porous uh, opposing defense for wide receivers in the league. So I think you could do a stack where you've got Chris Carson and Jameson Crowder. I would love if Denzel Mims was in the lineup to see if this could be his breakout week. But anyway... That's a good secondary stack option. Yeah, that was just announced before we logged on. I missed it. Yeah. No, no worries. Good catch. Good catch. Contested Uh, catch. Yeah, so, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that really kind of ruins the whole run back on the Seattle's if you're building around a Ross team. Well, I I think Crowder is interesting. If he plays, I think he's interesting. Yeah, if he plays, sure. Um, We saw him earlier in the year. He was getting double-digit targets every game. He was healthy. He was putting up 100 yards most of those games, and he had some decent touchdown situations. And then two last week, uh, I think that Crowder's a sneaky wide receiver three-type option. Um, And if you start with Carson, you can get that run back and then build around someone else. They're not that expensive either in either case. Um, Jeff, let's build a top lineup here. Go ahead and pick our uh, primary stack and secondary stack options and let us see what we get. All right. Jalen Hurts, Derek Henry, Austin Eckler, Tyreek Hill, Michael Thomas, Prashad Perriman, Zach Ertz, Shaquem Grant, Cowboys defense. It's okay. It's okay. Um, let's see where some Jalen Ragor lineups come in. I don't really like playing Ertz this week anyways. Yeah, I much prefer Goddard as an option. Jalen Hurts. David Montgomery, J.D. McKissick, Tyreek Hill, Michael Thomas, Jalen Ragor, Travis Kelsey, Michael Gallup. That's my shit right there, Jeff. That is my shit right there. I love that lineup. That's I don't like that one. So, yeah, I might need to do a little tinkering around to see how things go. Like I said, I don't really like how much uh, Ertz was popping up with that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, the rest of that looked, looked pretty nice. Yeah. Any, I mean, and Hertz is Hertz is so cheap this week too that like by paying down even if you're not really expecting him to be necessarily a top QB or even top three quarterback but because of how cheap he is as long as he's like a top five or six quarterback this week the amount of salary that you're going to save by starting him will really allow you to pay up for some better options especially at running back um, with how expensive like the top end has gotten lately. Yep, very true. Um, okay, Jeff, let's move on to our favorite plays that are standalone, guys we haven't necessarily talked about yet. I'll kick it off with two. Um, I've been talking about Evan Ingram for the past couple of weeks. I think that the volume definitely justifies uh, giving him a shot in your DFS lineups. He saw nine targets in week 12, six for 129, no touchdowns, really big game against Cincinnati. Uh, flunked a little bit, you know, relative to, t- to the tight end landscape. That was okay game, four for 32 and eight targets in week 13 against Seattle. But uh, he's popping in the air yards by low model from uh, Sabbath Run and Josh Hermsmeyer. And so he's a guy that I like this week. 
uh, continue to like him because of the volume, and that's a good indicator as well. And then another guy um, that will benefit, you know, we talked about J.D. McKissick. Another guy that will benefit from Antonio Gibson's absence, I think, is Terry McLaurin. We know this guy is lights out, absolute baller, um, actually didn't have a good game against Pittsburgh. Shocker. I mean, they're a really good defense. So uh, I think that that was one of the only times that you can really expect that dud, and it was. But um, before that, his his last five games, his floor was not, it was 84 yards, and he had two touchdowns. His floor was five receptions. So I think without Antonio Gibson in the lineup, it, he will probably get a little bit more work than we're used to him seeing, maybe a little bit less efficiency because the offense just won't be quite the same. But I am hopeful that he will continue to have that high floor. Maybe this will be a ceiling week for him. So those are some standalone plays that I like. Anyone else that you want to mention, Jeff? Um. Well, T. Higgins is just, I think you could maybe fire him up as a standalone. Um, betting on talent, just kind of out, you know, outproducing situation. And then, I mean, Tampa Bay, you kind of have like um, a roulette wheel to choose from. Uh, I mean, nobody, no one in that offense has really been like ex- super explosive, weak winning, but you do know the potential is there, especially against a not good Minnesota secondary. So I do think it's worth taking a few spins on the roulette wheel with those receivers. Or um, if you're only building a handful of lineups and had to pick one, my choice would be Chris Godwin. Um, But that's kind of, I guess, a roulette wheel that, um, you know, group to choose from that you could pick as like a standalone. And um, from the game theory perspective, because there is so much uncertainty in that offense where, you're like, okay, it could be one of these guys, pick one. I, I think most people are just like, I don't really want any part of that much in general. So if you pick the right guy there and they do pop, like I think they'll be really low ownership and help to give you an edge on the field this weekend. So that's another, uh, that's a play that I like. Yeah, very true. Um, all right, Jeff, let's move on to best bets now, and we'll talk about this slate for betting purposes. Um, I'll just get this one out of the way. We're going to talk about the Bills um, in depth in a second. So I'll just say this. I like the Bills' money line. I'm not necessarily going to touch the minus two spread in favor of the Bills. I think it's going to be a close one. We'll get to it. Um, if I had to go one way, I'd probably go under, but I'm not necessarily sure because both these offenses can really pop and both the defenses are turning around. So I'll say for now, I like the Bills' money line. And then another one that stands out is the Chiefs minus seven and a half. It just moved from minus seven to minus seven and a half on Bavada um, against Miami. I think we've seen Miami do more than I was expecting almost all year. So I'm a little tentative there, but I just think anytime you're giving the Chiefs about a touchdown, it's a pretty good bet. And, you know, we've seen them go up big late or early rather, and then just kind of run the clock out late uh, for whatever reason. And so it's a little dangerous uh, betting spread for the chiefs. But, uh, I think at the very least a money line for the chiefs is a pretty good building block for a parlay just because you can feel pretty good about it. Um, if you want it to go that way. And then there are a couple other ones that are interesting this week. I like Houston uh, as a one point favorite against Chicago. I think we've already talked about Deshaun Watson being unleashed, playing some of his best ball. Uh, I think we've seen this offense not struggle too much without Will Fuller. And so, yeah, they might have no David Johnson. We know that doesn't really matter. Duke Johnson's probably better anyway. Um, I like Houston against Chicago. Jeff, what bets do you like this week? Um, I like the Jaguars plus seven and a half. Um, They seem to just, they do a really good job at covering. Um, 
I mean, Tennessee's defense isn't that good. So, um, I mean, James Robinson could have a pretty solid game on the ground to kind of like slow the pace a little bit. Um, so Jags plus seven and a half Vikings plus six and a half. Uh, I mean, Tampa Bay is not that good. So you give them, giving them a touchdown against the Vikings team. That's really been looking a lot better. Um, sure. Like I'll take it. And the only thing is the bucks are coming off a bye, So they're probably a little bit refreshed. Uh, that's probably one of the reasons they're getting spotted. Also probably touchdown. like, um, uh, reset better. a little bit. Tom- Tampa, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Here's one for you, Jeff. Washington football. They're coming off of a big win against Pittsburgh. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but they're hot. Their defense is playing well. Uh, Alex Smith is playing good ball, and they don't have Antonio Gibson, but they still have some decent weapons on offense. They are three-point underdogs to San Francisco right now. We know that San Francisco just got beat by the Bills handedly. Um, I think that Washington minus, or plus three is – uh, I, I honestly think that's kind of mispriced. I think they should probably be closer to a pick if not Washington favored by a point or two. That's at least where I lean. So I like the money line at plus 150 for Washington. Uh, I'll probably be throwing that in some parlays as well. Yeah, I don't hate it. Uh, I mean, Alex Smith is the better quarterback. And I mean, the the front line for the football team is pretty strong as well. Um, uh, oh, I like the under in the Chiefs-Dolphins game of – 50.5 oh okay so maybe we go chiefs minus seven and a half and the under yeah yeah or money line i mean the money line doesn't give you too much right uh well anyway let's move on to the bill segment now jeff and i'm anxious to get here because it is going to be fun to talk about this bills team now man i mean we are officially rolling buffalo is uh I mean, playing some of their best ball that I've seen. They're nine and three now. They face the eleven and one Steelers. They were the Steelers were undefeated going into last week. They lost to the uh, to the Washington football team, and uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Like I said earlier, I think this can be a close one. My score prediction for them is twenty three twenty in favor of Buffalo, um, and I think that the Buffalo defense finally showed some signs of of life and, and playing really, really well. I thought they stepped up in big spots when the, when the Bills' offense didn't put them in great position. The defense is finally stepping up. We know Pittsburgh's defense is ferocious. Now, Josh Allen just played I – mean, I feel like we're saying this like every other week at this point, but Josh Allen just played a masterful game against San Francisco. This offense is just being called so, so well by Dable, and Josh Allen is playing really, really good ball. We, we already talked about Cole Beasley – Ripping. We know Stefan Diggs is one of the best route runners in the game, if not the best. I think he's the best. Uh, you had a good poll out there that said who's the best who's the best route runner in the game? Is it Cole Beasley or Stefan Diggs? My answer is Diggs, but Beasley's quicker and therefore a little bit better in a in a phone booth. Um, so anyway, I think that the Bills are rolling. I think Pittsburgh's probably gonna bounce back after a disappointing game against uh Washington, but I like the Bills in this one. And I think if we go to 10 and 3 here, Jeff. I think there should be some serious talk about the Bills facing the Chiefs if that's how things line up in the AFC Championship game. Um, I just don't think there are many teams that have the offensive firepower uh, and the momentum that the Bills have. And the defense, which was, a you know, if you're going to contend with the Chiefs, you need to be able to slow them down at least a little bit. We saw the Bills play a good game against the Chiefs earlier in the year. So that's at least where I stand, 23-20 for the Bills. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I agree with that point total. I I did say twenty three twenty on my own before you did seeing your pick. So 
Um, yeah, I also had 23-20. I think it'll be a good game. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it'd be fantastic if the Bills just keep it going. And I mean, if we finish the season 12-4, and 13-3 with second-best offense in the AFC, like, that could that's incredible. Never thought we'd see the day. For real. And, you know, I think uh, I think our buddy Kaz, who's a big Steelers fan, has been all over the Steelers this year, you know, was really high on them. So kudos to him for being right about this Steelers team exceeding expectations. We were all on the over, I believe, in the in the uh, win total segment we did right at the end of the summer. Um, it's free money. Yeah. But um, I think you know, there, there are, there's a Josh Allen apology form out there on the Internet as well. Oh, I on love Twitter. that. That's necessary. Everyone <laughs> sign it. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I think the difference between these two teams, when you look at their offenses, is that um, Josh provides that dynamic running element, which we know is really effective um, when he doesn't fumble and when he doesn't get hurt. So that's good. Um, I think that both of them have pretty good run games. Um, Pittsburgh has faltered a little bit late on that front without James Conner. He should be back, I believe. Um, but the real difference here is that Pittsburgh plays a low dot passing attack. They get the ball on their playmakers, and they hope that they can do something with it. They aren't very good at stretching the field, at least the way they've been playing. Meanwhile, Buffalo has been very, very explosive on offense. We see guys leaking open uh, constantly. Gabe Davis getting open deep. Cole Beasley shredding people over the middle. Stephon Diggs just balling and putting guys on highlight reels. Um, I think the main difference here is that the Steelers' defense is better, but not as much as it used to be. I mean, the Bills defense has really shown me something the last couple of weeks. I think Ed Oliver's playing well, Trey White's CB1 in the league. Uh, and then this offense, I think, for the Bills really gives them the edge. And I think uh, I think we can feel pretty good about them taking this one home. If not, you know, it's probably going to be a close loss if they were to lose. So, you know, if you get a one score loss, then so be it. You're nine and four. But either way, I feel good about the Bills rest of the season. I really like the direction that we are heading. Um, so yeah, man, I hope we keep it going. And we just locked up Brandon Bean for the long run too. We did, man. He deserves it. Uh, McDermott oh, got his, got his extension to, um, this is just an incredibly encouraging stretch for the bills. I thought that we were going to have a heartbreak when Josh Allen got rolled up on against the chargers a couple weeks ago, uh, by Joey Bosa, because that did not look good. He bounced right back. He was back in the next, uh, I think two plays later or the next series. But anyway, uh, we are still going, so, still going strong. Oh, here. So, do we extend Josh this off season, or do we exercise the fifth year option? And which I mean, you do that anyways. But exercise the fifth year option, let him play out year four, and then give him an extension, or do we extend him now? You know the 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 reason that this is a conversation is because if you extend him now, you're probably saving money in the long run before another quarterback resets the quarterback market, gets more average per year and new money. Um, and eventually, you know, if we don't extend him now and someone else goes before us, then they get, uh, you know, Dak still has to get his contract. Um, it, it, there's a chance that someone else makes us pay more for Josh. But I think it's much much more important that this Josh is the real Josh and not you know, what we saw in the past couple of years um, isn't reality. So I think I yeah, would prefer end up like the Eagles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Carson Wentz situation is a perfect example. I would much prefer to watch him play at this level for one more year and then give him as much money as he wants if that's real. Because if it's real, um, it doesn't matter if you're paying him an extra couple million. No, it doesn't matter at all. But if it is, but if he isn't real, if this is a mirage and just a product of the Dable offense, which I really hope is not the case, but it's plausible. If this is a mirage, 
then and we lock him up for that much money, then we're in the same situation as Carson Wentz, uh, as as the Philadelphia Eagles are with the Carson Wentz situation. And that is a really, really bad spot to be in because now you're paying a ton of money. You're really restraining the cap. And that's not even the guy that is going to help you win games at the quarterback position. So, yeah, you know, if I had a preference, I'd say let's watch Josh play at this level again in, in year four. I, I agree, especially also factoring in that looks like the salary cap is going to be axed to 175 next year and we'll have like $4 million of cap space or something. So, you know, there are a bunch of cap gymnastics to free up space, convert salaries into bonuses. Um, but yeah, it's not like we have a ton of cap space to work with either. And it's an easy excuse as well. Like, hey, you know, we just don't, you know, we want to get everything taken care of this year and we'll give you the fat you know, load up the trucks and back them, just dump a uh, dump truck worth of money at your front step after 2021. Although I will say if, if Allen does just lead us to the Super Bowl this year, like I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, at that <laughs> point, at that point you just say, fuck it. Yep. Here you go. Yeah. Like here's the key to the city. <laughs> I mean, he's a high character yeah, individual. Free- He's free wings for life. He's he's the face <laughs> of the franchise right now. Um, I don't think there I don't think he could have shown us really anything else through 12 games this year to make us feel like he's legit. So, you know, it's really just trying to think a little bit longer term and what the po- probabilities are of anything else happening. So but yeah, I mean, you know, if we had to do it right now, yeah, we do it. Um, if we don't have to do it right now, which we don't. I think that ideally we wait a little bit longer. We'll see what Bean decides to do. I mean, they took the chance on him in the first place and then they developed him and now he is what he is, uh, which is an MVP contender. I think he is rightfully right behind Mahomes and Rodgers. Um, I don't think that we can really put him above them unless the Bills continue this ascent. And, you know, if they take down the Chiefs, they get to the Super Bowl. I don't know. I mean, it, the MVP award's kind of uh, interesting because it really depends on what criteria is. Is it most valuable? Is it best season? Those are not necessarily the same thing. So we shall see. Um, Jeff, any final thoughts here as we go into week 14? Um, Mike Evans has been a, did not practice the last two days. If that happened, if he is inactive or even if he's active, but maybe kind of more decoy, that really looks good for either Godwin or Antonio Brown against Minnesota. Okay, good stuff there. Um, all right, well, that does it for episode 68, Jeff. We are one away from the golden episode uh, that is coming next week, <laughs> and we'll be sure to have some nice. Uh, nice jokes for you guys on that one. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you guys listening each and every week. Um, reminder that our tools are still up on the site, contestacatch.com forward slash DFS for the optimizer tool. Make sure to use that when you're submitting lineups this weekend on DraftKings. And then of course we've got the rock score, which is still up and running and doing well, uh, forward slash ROC. So without further ado, thank you guys for tuning in. We hope to catch you next time.